You know what I love about church? I love about this church. One of the things that struck me about going to Bethel uh, was how authentic they were. You kind of think that when big churches get big, they suddenly get flashy and, you know, you've got all these things. And, and we've been talking a little bit about that, but they haven't lost their authenticity. Thanks, bro. Oh, come on. This birthday gets better and better. Peaches. This is, in, this is encouraging to me on two levels. One, people listen to me preach. People remember things I say. It's the little things in life. Number two, I love peaches. I, I notice you've left it sealed so that I have to behave myself during the sermon. Anywho. There's this authenticity and there's this idea that when you can come to God, you can be whatever and you can do whatever you need to do to give yourself to Him. And so, you know, that's my heart. That's why I love when, when uh, Bex started today with, you have permission to dance. You, know, you don't have an obligation to dance, but you have permission to dance. And you've got permission to lie on the floor because that's what you want to do to worship God. You've got permission to stand on your seat. You've got permission to do cartwheels in the you know, whatever it is. Because if, if we lose, if we have to behave a certain way, to worship God, that makes him a dictator. And so it's about what God puts in our spirit. And I've got, a, I've got something I want to share with you this morning. It's, um, this week's been very strange for me. It's been very strange for a lot of people in our family. Many of you will know that uh, Grant passed away last week and we had his funeral here on Monday and that was not something any of us were kind of prepared for um, in terms of, you know, just it was such a shock. And, and so we did that. And they had 350 people, they reckon, turned up here for Grant's funeral. That's... It's incredible. Uh, and, and so getting the opportunity to share the gospel, to share the message of hope, and seeing the opportunities that came out of that, you know, people that have come to speak with me to say, I need to talk about, about what, what you talked about today. And, you know, I've had people sit in my office this week who are unchurched going, I need to talk about what we talked about. And so you go, there's this kind of silver lining in this really horrible situation. And you go, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. And, and I'm in this place where as a pastor, you're supposed to have faith and you're supposed to have hope, but at the same time, you're feeling confusion, you're feeling lost, your prayer to God, I can't be the only one in here, my prayer to God looks more like, Jesus, what the? <laughs> you ever pray a prayer like that to God? And so this way, all the time, yeah. And so my prayers have been to God, you know, I've been exhausted, I've been confused, I've been sad, but I've been encouraged and I've had peace. And at the same time, I'm looking going, there's six weeks until the end of the year. <laughs> I've got six opportunities left to preach, and I've no idea. I've got, I've got sermon outlines and all sorts of things I could preach, but I go, there's only six weeks. Two of those have to be Christmas. One of them's going to be something else. And, and, and what do you do? What do you say? And so there's that stress of having to perform. And in the midst of that, I went, God, I just want you. I just want you. I, want, I, just, I just want you. That's what I need right now. I don't need some miracle prayer. I, don't need, I, just, I need you. And so in the midst of that, I decided to take Friday and I decided to go, I'm not going to write a single sermon. I'm just going to listen to sermons. I'm just going to listen to what happens. And so I was listening to uh, all the sermons that I've kind of missed. I still haven't got to Pam's yet. I'm sorry, Pam, where are you hiding? Crash, good. I still haven't got to Pam's, but I'm going to get there. Um, but I was listening to Ollie's sermon talking about how you make the best of your 90%. I went, yes, can't change this bit, but what can I do with that? It's, not, it's 10% what happens to you, 90% how you respond. And then I was listening to Bo's sermon from last week, and if you missed Bo's sermon, you missed a doozy of a sermon. Can I encourage you to get the tape? I was starving by the time he'd gone through all the wonderful fast foods that we got to enjoy. Uh, but look, if you're, not, if you're not into hearing all about the fast foods, skip to the nine-minute mark because sermon gets good, man, because Bo talked all about, uh, you know, what are you eating? In the same way that physical food into our body matters, spiritual food into our soul matters. 
What are you eating? What are you consuming? And I loved the, 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 the verse he used in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, which says, faith comes by hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. Faith comes by hearing. But I love the bait and switch. Did you see the bait and switch that Bo did? Because in the middle of the sermon, he went, let's talk about what you're eating, but let's also talk about what you're serving. Because it's one thing to eat good food, but what food are you serving? If you're eating steak, we're giving everybody else two-minute noodles. Not just what are you eating, but what are you serving? And I love, because Romans 10, 17, we've just read, faith comes by hearing. But then James chapter 1, verse 22 says, don't just listen. Don't just be hearers of God's word. Be doers of the word. In other words, don't just be consumers. Be servers. Don't just digest it. Yeah, I, there's not an appropriate way to say that. <laughs> and so I was listening to that. And, and what I want to do this morning is I want to build on what Bo said, because in many ways he stole one of my sermons that I was hoping to preach soon anyway, which is awesome, because I love it when God's convicting us on the same things. I want to begin my final series for the year, and I want to call the series The Journey. The Journey. I want to take you inside my head. Bring a torch, bring a blanket, because it's dark and it's cold. <laughs> but more importantly, I want, to, I want to take you inside the heart of God. I'll take you inside the heart of God. Bits and pieces of what I want to say today, you'll have heard in my different places throughout the year, but I want to kind of bring it all together. I want to say it more bluntly than perhaps I've ever said it before, and with more clarity than I've said it before. One of the things I loved about visiting Bethel was it confirmed some things that were in my spirit, and it gave me, it gave me language to describe some things that I knew were happening in my spirit but didn't know how to articulate. And so all of this is kind of, it's been churning around inside me for, for months and years, and you know, you know what the Christian journey's like, and then finally you sort of go, ah, this bit makes sense to me now. Because let me ask you two questions as a church. We want to be a place where people meet Jesus, yes? Three people. We want to be a place where people get transformed, yes? yes. Come on. That process is a journey. And everyone's journey is different. You could sit with five different people, 50 different people in this place this morning and share your testimonies about where you are at the journey, where you've been, where you've come from, where you're going. You would find that everyone's journey is a little bit different. And so everyone's journey is different. Ultimately, and I preached a sermon many years ago, uh, many years ago, I don't have many years. I'm not even many years old. <laughs> preached a sermon last year, many months ago, maybe, and uh, talking about how there's only one road to God, but Jesus' road comes all the way to your house. And so wherever you find yourself on the journey, there's a road that leads to Jesus for you. God calls us as his followers and he calls us as the church to be guides on that journey. Yeah? Part of our role as disciples of Jesus is to be guides for people on their journey to God. But if we're not careful, we actually can become stumbling blocks in that journey. Because let, let me ask you this question. If you, if, you are, if you are a church attender in here, if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, has a follower of Jesus ever put you off following Jesus? Has someone who was supposed to be a guide ever become a stumbling block? 
And they probably had the best of intentions. You know, there's probably times where I have done this with the best of intentions. Instead of being the guide, I've become the stumbling block. But we don't want to be the stumbling block. We want to be the markers. We want to be the pointers. We want to be the city on the hill going, that way, you can do it. We want to be the encouragers. And so that's kind of what I want to look at this morning. I want to start today's thought. Well, I've already started it. I want to continue today's thought with two scriptures. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 to 9. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 to 9. Uh, and it says this, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Can we just all take a minute and say, yay. <laughs> my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. My ways are higher than your ways, some translations say. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. There it is. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Let me tell you about this verse. Let me tell you one of the things that annoys me about this verse. It's a verse that's often used when people are grieving or suffering, and it doesn't help. I've had at least two people tell me it this week. It doesn't help. <laughs> you know, oh, they have, we, don't, we just got to God's ways are higher than our ways. Cool. God also has feelings, <laughs> right? So we have this, this verse, and it's, it's the verse people use to explain that we don't know how God thinks because his thoughts are nothing like our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. We don't know God's ways. That's, that's the way we use the verse. But I want to show you a second verse and unpack Psalm 103. I want to read from verses 1 through to verse 7. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Which leads me to this observation. There's two words there. Moses knew something the Israelites didn't. Yeah? Moses knew his ways. Israel knew his acts. The NLT puts it this way. Psalm 103 verse 7 says this. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. I want you to think about that for a minute. Is it possible for us to know the character of God? Is it possible for us to know the heart of God? Is it possible for us to know the acts of God without knowing the heart of God? And what could potentially happen if we missed that? Should we know the ways? Because I believe that when you put these verses together, what they teach us is that when God says, my ways are higher than your ways, we know that to be true. But he does not mean that they're secret. He does not mean, that's why James says, if anyone needs wisdom, they need only to ask God. What's wisdom? It's God's way. 
So God says, here's my ways, I'm prepared to show. And, but one of the things that I think we can be guilty of doing is, is defaulting to, to being content to know the actions of God, the rules of God, the laws of God, without ever knowing the person of Jesus, the heart of God. And yet we know that transformation comes by the Holy Spirit. Transformation comes when we encounter not the acts of God, but the heart of God. There's a difference between knowing what God thinks and how God thinks. Now, none of us can ever master the fullness of going, I know exactly what God would do here, because if you did, you'd be God. <laughs> and aren't we all glad again this morning that that's not the case? But we can learn as we walk with Him. See, one of the things that I find really interesting is, like, if Emma and I, we've lived together for five years. I could study Emma for 20, you could study Emma, let's talk about it, you could study Emma for 30 years from a distance and not learn as much about her as I've learned in nearly six years of marriage. Why? Because you'd be studying her acts. I've seen her heart. And so when I encounter the heart, not only what begins to happen is, you ever notice that as, as husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend or, you know, even just within your family, the more time you spend with someone, you start to pick up some of their characteristics. You start to pick up some of their ways. Some of them you don't. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but we start to pick up some of their ways. And not only that, what we begin to be able to do is we begin to be able to, 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 to anticipate what would happen. We begin to anticipate because we understand their heart. And so one of the things that, that with, with, with Emma and I, we have a joint bank account. It's a either to sign, it's not this way, if you want to spend, you have to, you know, I earn the money, so you need to, no. I know that Emma and I have a heart that is so closely linked that I trust her to do whatever she thinks is best without consulting me and vice versa, yeah? Because that's our heart. You don't have that when you're dating. You don't go, yeah, sure, here's, you, know, you spend all the money trying to woo them. But as we spend time, as we get to know, you know, <laughs> You know, certain things, you know, the longer, the longer Sue's worked at the office, you know, when she started, every time someone came in with a question, she had to come to me and go, well, what do you think about this? Now, she makes decisions, because she knows how I think. She doesn't know, so, so someone comes in and they say something, and she's never heard me say anything about it. She's never heard me say, this is what I think about that particular issue, but she knows how I think. And so she goes, this and one of the greatest privileges, but also the greatest concerns that we need to, this is why the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because one of the things that is the biggest scary thing for us is that God gives us that right as the church to speak on behalf of Him. That's, like, that's awesome, and it's terrifying. Because if I don't know the heart of God, if I don't know the ways of God, if I don't spend time and learn the character of God, I'll just speak based on what he's done before or what I've seen him do or what I think I would do. And that's not good. So we need to be in this. And so my, my thought around this thing about this journey as we're helping with people on the journey, as we're journeying ourselves, is we have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. We have to encounter the character and the heart of God. 
There's a difference between what God does and who God is. You know, the Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, the character determines the action. The character provides context for the action. We can try to go the other way. We can try to look at what God does and assume what He's like. Or we can look at what someone does. We can look at how Shannon preaches. Or we can look at how someone dresses and go, well, I assume based on what I see that this is what they're like. And sometimes that can be accurate, but sometimes that can be, you, you'll know. There's a reason that the world has a saying, don't judge a book by its cover. But if we go the other way and go, when I know the character of God, suddenly I'm able to look at every situation through the lens. And so even things that don't match up with the actions of God, when I'm going through something that's hard and I go, God would never do this, but what I do know is that God is faithful. That's his character. And so even though this doesn't make sense, I'm hanging on to the fact that I know God's character. And because of that, I know that this is temporary. I know that this doesn't have a place. We need to get deeper into the character of God. You know, that's Leonard Ravenhill talks about, you know, we could afford to be half as intellectual if we were twice as spiritual. God's ways are higher than our ways. We can see that as a shut out, or we can see that as an invitation in. Okay, my ways are higher than your ways. Why don't you ask me what I think? Why don't you come get to know me? Why don't you learn to think like me? Why don't you learn to live like me? Why don't you learn to love like me? You know, that's why the Bible says we love because he first loved us. Because the only reason we know how to know what love is is because God did it first. <laughs> Let me ask you this question as a challenge question. Moses knew God's ways. We've read that. Moses knew God's ways. Do we have more access or less access to God than Moses? Glory of the present house will be greater than before. Paul talks, uh, Paul talks about it. If Moses had that and we've got this, and Moses' glory faded. How much more do we have? So we have access to more. So if Moses had access to God's ways, can we learn the character of God? Yes. That's one of the things that I love about Jesus is he's personal. He's not off there going, I'm not telling you. He says, search me. Seek for me. When you seek, you will find. When you ask, you will receive. Knock and the door will be open to you. God actually longs to reveal his ways to us. question becomes, how do we learn God's ways? How? How? What do we do? What's, how, how, do we, how do we enter into that? Uh, how do we work it out? Because what we tend to do is, is, you know, how do we learn about most things? We watch, we observe. But if you want to get really close to someone's character, you have to spend time with them. You have to draw close to them. There's so much that you can learn from watching from afar. There's so much that you can learn from reading a book. There's so much you can learn from watching a movie, but there's nothing you can learn. Uh, there, there is nothing like what you can learn when you draw close to that person. It's got to be more than what we see. See, if I can continue to, to, to labor this just for a little bit, of, uh, bit longer. If I try to learn someone's character from one or a handful of their actions, I'm doomed. How much of what God does do we actually see? Like, how much of what God does is unseen by man? 
I would say at least 99%. You know, even if you're in full-on revival and people are getting healed, people are getting saved, people are getting whatever, you know, I would say that's still less than 1% of what God is doing in the unseen. If you tried to get to know my character based on 10% of what you could see about me, would you arrive at the right conclusion? Probably not. If someone took just 10% of your life and decided to build your whole character around that, would they arrive at the right conclusion? Probably not. So if we can only see 1% of God, if that, and I'm being generous, are we likely to, to get the right view of God's heart just from what we, by interpreting what we see? No. This is why the Bible says that God created the earth out of what was unseen. You know, all these things. And, and so we have to, it has to go beyond what we can see. And that's why we have to live by faith and not by sight. Again, that's not a scripture about just going. It's about seeing what can't be seen with these. That's why the, the verse in Hebrew says, faith is the confidence of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. Faith is evidence, not blind hope. See, if I can interpret every situation through the character of God, I'll always hold to His truth, no matter what's going on. But if I interpret the character of God through whatever situation that I'm going through, then the character of God changes every couple of weeks, every couple of months, every couple of years, because my view of his character is influenced by what I see. But if I know the character first, everything else fits into that. And so I go, I don't get this, but I know God is this, and so somehow, somehow God's going to make it work. And it's not that God sends it, it's just that God is so good at cards that whatever hand you deal him, he goes, I win. The devil goes, but I had a royal flush. Yeah. So what? <laughs> I'm that good. That's how good God is with the cards that we, that we can give him. Bo, I loved, Bo was talking about some of the paradoxes in the Bible. If I try to live by the actions of God, I'm doomed. You ever read the Bible and go, this is confusing? Like three honest people in the room, small. If I apply God's action, because let's talk about not only what we're consuming, but what we're serving. If I apply God's action without God's heart, that could be destructive. See, if someone else disciplines my child without the love I have for my child, that's going to be a problem. But if I discipline my child with the love that I have first, that's going to be different. Why? Because I'm giving the action with a different heart. You know, how many people, you know, you can do the right thing in the wrong spirit and it be the wrong thing. There are times in the Bible where God seems to have contradicting actions, but God always has an uncontradicting heart. There are times where, I'll say that again for the people at the back, there are times where God seems to have contradicting actions but he never has an uncontradicting heart. And we need that revelation first. And so therefore we need to watch everything that seems contradicting through the uncontradicting heart of God and go, God, show me. Show me, reveal to me, speak to me, help me understand. My ways are not your ways, but your ways are not hidden from me. (laughs) 
Let me ask you another challenge question. Do your actions come out of your understanding of Scripture or your relationship with God? You know, I had, I had a number of people come to me uh, after Sunday, after Monday and say, that's it, I'm booking you in for my funeral. And I went, let's try not put a date on it. <laughs> I even got a wedding offer and I'm like, what did you see in this that made you go, yeah, let's, oh, this was so inspiring, I want to get married. You know, like that's... But see, what people saw, you know, in the action was, you did a good job of that. You honored him. You spoke well. What they didn't see is the only reason I could do it was because of the relationship. What was unseen. And so there were some people that came and said, you know, from this congregation who said, I want you to do my funeral. I went, I could do that. There was a guy who I'd never met before who said, I want you to do my funeral. And I wanted to say to him, you don't, because I do a terrible job, because I have no idea who you are. So just being good at your craft isn't enough. There's a relationship that's unseen. There's a scene and there was an unseen. Same in Grant's life. There was a scene, but there was an unseen. And it was the unseen that made the scene so impacting that 350 people turned up to hear his legacy. I tell you, most of them hadn't been impacted by the scene. They'd been impacted by the unseen. It wasn't what he did. It was how he lived. It was how he loved And so in the same way, when we serve God, we have to serve out of that relationship. Not out of how good we are at our craft. Not out of how, you know, I could, I could be the best person with words in the world, but if I wasn't plugged into Jesus, it would be wasted. Someone say amen this morning. <laughs> I love this quote that I heard in, in, in Bethel, which gave me language for this. The Bible is deliberately written in paradox, so that you cannot live by principles. You can only live by the prince. The Bible is deliberately written in paradox, so you can't live by the principles, only by the prince. Because if you just went, I'm going to live by the Bible, that would be confusing. That would be really confusing. The Bible is not the instruction book for life, it's the revealer of the instruction book for life, which is Jesus. That's why someone who doesn't believe in God can't take this and change the world, because it's not the book. It's the one who wrote the book. So let's talk about a few of those. Let's talk about some of those, uh, you know, living by the prince, because there's some wonderful stories in the Bible, and there's some wonderful stories in this church that I could share. See, one of them, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and you've heard me talk about it many, many times before, is the woman caught in the act of adultery. It's my favorite story because it's the messiest story. It's the one that when you think you've got God all figured out, you go, what about this one? Because they bring this woman caught in the act of adultery that the Bible says is a sin, and they bring her before Jesus, and they say, Jesus, the Bible says that this woman ought to be stoned. Like The law says that this woman should be stoned. What say you? And I've put this question to you before. Does Jesus believe the law of Moses? Yes, because he wrote it. Right? <laughs> So, so they come and they go, this is the law, what do you say? And he says something different. And you go, did he change his mind? And it's like, what Jesus says is, you're right, the Bible does say that, that's the action, but, 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 but you miss the heart behind that. Because you think that I wrote that, so you had an excuse to kill someone. If you're looking for an excuse to hurt someone, you're the one with the problem. Yeah. Jesus is going, I'm looking for an excuse to give someone life. 
So you've got this paradox in Scripture because God Himself says, but then God Himself does. You go, huh? I don't have an answer. I just have a tension. I can't live by the principle. I can only live by the prince. And so when I'm faced with a similar situation, I, I go, Jesus, help. Your ways are higher than my ways. I don't know. I don't know. What would you do? Let me, let me give you another one. We, we all know as Christians how God feels about abortion. But I'd like to submit to you that I don't think that God's approach to how he feels about abortion would be to protest outside of a, a medical center or to sign a petition or to make these people feel bad about themselves. So we know God's, we're, like, we're trying to do an act based on a misunderstanding of God's heart because if we knew how God had felt about these people, and here's how I know it wouldn't be God doing it because it's not working. And when did Jesus ever do anything that didn't work? Give me one example. <laughs> so we have to look and go, what are we not getting in our heart? You know, and here's, here's two other stories that I want, I want to share with you. Because you and go, how do you approach these? Because if we look at them through the Bible, we get confused. But if we look at them through the heart of God, I believe he begins to unpack them. There is a person in this church who part of their testimony journey of how they came to Jesus was they received a prophetic word from a psychic. Check your pulse for a minute. If something inside you didn't clench at that. Because so, so someone had a prophetic word from a psychic that was very clear that when they walked into this place, it was that word that made them stay. Now, if we look at the action, if we just looked at the action, we could go, oh, well, so the, uh, the application of this is that God speaks through psychics. So if you are struggling to hear from God, just down the road, you will find... <laughs> Is, is that the application of that? No. But at the same time, we could go to Scripture and all the Scriptures that say, you know, you shouldn't consult with psychics, you shouldn't consult with mediums, you shouldn't do this, 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 and the other. And when that person shares their testimony, we could go, wrong, because God doesn't do that, because that's a sin. He did it. <laughs> that person wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that moment. I don't have a box for it. I don't have a principle for it. His ways are higher than my ways. And so I just, here's what I believe. I believe if God, if we, God does whatever you, he needs to do to reach you, no matter the cost. I will do whatever I have to do to find you. And if that's where you find yourself, that's why Psalm 139 says, even if I make my bed in hell, he will find me there. And we could shut down with something God said, with his action, because we've missed the heart. Does that make sense? I'll tell you another story. I asked Virgil and Elvis if I could share this. I just want to honor Virgil and Elvis. They sit down in the back there. They're very humble people. I, I don't know if I've ever met two more authentic expressions of Christianity in my life. Elvis has been a Christian for maybe a month and a half, maybe something, two months, not long, wee bit. And just their heart and their understanding of the heart of God is, is, is something that I treasure, something that inspires me. And, and you know, when they came into this church, uh, you know, Virgil dragged Elvis, as is often the way, because Virgil had, a, you know, had been to church before. She said, you're coming to church with me. She brought him in, and he went, oh, I like the music, I think I'll come back. You know, so well done, music team, good stuff. You know, <laughs> we'll keep you on for another week. After a couple of weeks of coming along, he hears a sermon about consecrating your past, present, and future, and goes, I need to do that, I need to give myself to God. So he does, he becomes a Christian. 
Now, Virgil and Elvis aren't married. <laughs> oh, I got missed with you this morning. How long we got? Elvis becomes a Christian. You go, oh, well, now they're both Christians. What's their plan for their marriage thing? Because Christians should be married. The Bible says so. Oh, I agree. Their plan was to get married in 10 years. I'm like, oh, okay. Not wrong with that. I don't know what a 10-year plan looks like. for you know, A lot of planning, a lot of balloons. A lot of, yeah. And then I met with them one day. I was having coffee with them, and they said, well, it's three years now. Three years gives you know, Virgil time to get settled in a new job. We're just, you know, all this sort of stuff and, and, and whatever. And, and now, as a pastor, I could go, well, the Bible says. But I went, God, what would you say? Because I watched what was happening in Elvis's life, and I watched what was happening in his daughter's life, who came to one of the prayer meetings one night, and saw the change that was going on in Elvis's life, and I watched what happens, and I've heard the stories of what happens when they go away, and he tells his friends that he's a Christian now, and they go, hey, and he goes, yeah, I love Jesus, and all this sort of stuff goes on and on and on. And I could have said, I could have gone, you know what, the Bible says, what you're doing is wrong. Or I could have gone, I see the, and, and this is what I felt God to do. And I said, I see the hands of God all over your relationship. And I ain't going to curse what God seems to be blessing. Right? I ain't going to be that guy. And so I said, you go. You work it out. The only thing I said was, this, God's marriage is the, the, the vehicle that God uses to put his blessing on our relationship. And I believe as Christians, you probably will want that at some stage. Now, I could have gone, you can't do this, you can't do this. Here's the fun part. The next week, we had a prayer tunnel, and I went, God, who do you want to pray? And God said, Virgil. And I went, God, I will lose my job. There will be letters, there will be complaints, these things will happen. And he said, I said, Virgil, did I stutter? <laughs> I went and got her, she prayed. She gave three of the most prophetic, accurate prophetic words. I had people come up to me and go, that woman, man, she said this to me. You know, no one said anything about my prophetic words on the morning, but Virgil's were on fire. I'm glad I picked her. But if I'd gone with Scripture, I would have overlooked her. If I'd gone with one Scripture, I should say, I could have overlooked her. Here's the exciting part, because this is the journey. When we listen to the heart of God, when I see the heart of God for them, Virgil and Elvis are getting married on the 14th of December, ladies and gentlemen. And here's the thing, not because I told them, not because you told them, because one morning, <laughs> Virgil felt God say to her holy and blameless daughter, and she went out to her newly Christian husband, and he goes, honey, what does holy and blameless mean? Because <laughs> he just said the same thing. You see what happens when we don't stress and we just listen to the heart of God, and go, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens if we let God breathe on this a little bit. You know, Bo said last week we're called to be fruit inspectors. You know, we're not called to judge, we're called to be fruit inspectors. I saw fruit all over their lives. Does it fit my box? No. Does it fit the law? No. Does it fit his heart? Apparently. Would I therefore take that and go, so the solution is everybody move in with your partner before you're married to them? No! No, but God, 
God's heart has to come before God's action. Am I, am I making sense here this morning? I'm, I know I'm being controversial. I know I'm being controversial. I make no apology for it because I believe God is calling us to be controversial. This is part of what I was talking to you when I said, how about now, a couple of weeks ago. Are you prepared to start questioning things that we've held on to for years? And again, I know right now, I can feel it. I can hear it in the room. I can already, you're wording those emails. I can already, I can already hear them. <laughs> the scripture isn't the map. The spirit is the map. And so this is, this is the thing. This isn't about letting go of God and his principles. It's actually about holding on to them tighter. Because if we're going to step a foot out of the boat and dare to do something different, we better be sure that it's God. Because if it's not God, we're in trouble. And so I won't ever do anything that I don't feel God's leading on. Because I don't want to go, this seems convenient in culture. And there are times where we are called to buck the trend of culture. We are. And I'm going to unpack this. I've, my time is gone. I'm going to unpack this over the next several weeks, more things and more. Don't, again, if you judge my theology on one sermon out of four in a series, you'll arrive at the wrong conclusion about my character. Come to the next three then write an email. <laughs> because we have to hold on tighter to God. This is not about letting go. You know, you know that story in the Bible where like the whole thing around circumcision and they're like, because the new Gentiles are coming in and because they're like 30, they're like, we don't really want to be circumcised. And so they go and they get together and they go, well, we know what the law says. What's the heart of God? And they come out and they're like, ah, uh, we think, and again, that same pressure because it's like, we, like God's given us permission to speak on his behalf that, that, and we don't, we don't abuse that. That humbles us and that drives us closer to him. We don't go, God's given me the credit card, therefore let's get on a spending spree. We go, God's given me the credit card, God, show me how to use it because I don't want to use it wrong. I want to use it to bring people in to your kingdom, not to push people away from your kingdom. I want to use it to transform people. At no point do I want to just leave people stuck in their mess because you don't leave people stuck in their mess. But Lord, I want to inject your Holy Spirit into where we are right now. So here's my question for you. You know God's acts. Do you know his heart? You know his miracles. Do you know his ways? Are you living by your ways or by his ways. And this morning, do we need to collectively again say, Lord, not my will, but your will. Not my ways, but your ways. Lord, teach us. Can we all stand together this morning? Lord, this morning I've preached what you've put on my heart. And Lord, I don't understand it. I don't begin to comprehend it. But Lord, I explore you and I love that you love us. I love that you are the perfect balance of grace and of justice. And Lord, we say now we need more of you. As John said, let us decrease so that you might increase. Let our desires, let our religion, let our need to be right die at the altar of our call to be kind. Lord, I thank you that lives are being transformed in this place. People are getting closer to you, not further away from you. Lord, I pray that you would keep us humble. Lord, I pray that you would reveal your ways to us. 
Your word says in the book of John that the Holy Spirit will guide you to all truth. Lord, we need you to guide us to truth this morning. Lead us, shelter us, rebuke us when we are being stumbling blocks instead of guides. Lord, that many, many more people in this community would find faith. Not watered down, but true transformational, life-giving faith. Amen? Amen. Man, it's hot up here. Wish I had a can of peaches. Oh, come on! And a cake. Hey, well, God bless you. I encourage you, see loud, take this, chew on it, think about it. And uh, I'll see you all again next week. Next week, I'm going to talk about how we protect process over outcome. That's going to be fun, so that we make sure that we make godly decisions. So you want to be here for that. So, but amen, God bless you, and we'll see you next week.